0: If I've ever collapsed up the steps before, I <laughs> guess too many things in my mind. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to practice this during the week. So, man, oh man, the anointing, the, 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 anointing, the, the annoying, my goodness. Wow, well, help us, Jesus. So, I'm gonna have to, we have to have a special team just to help me up and down these steps, I think, from now on. Like, the and maybe they can kiss my hand at the end or something, I don't know. Well, let's just hope that wasn't on camera, or that could be an amazing meme, or, or a gif, or a gif, or whatever that could be, <laughs> just like back and forth, back and forth, so, oh well, it's not the worst thing I've ever had happen from here. Okay, so my pastor is Cletty Keith, and he has all these crazy little sayings, and some of them I just don't understand, you know, it's, uh, what are some of the ones he says, he um, says, Jimmy, you got a, what is it? He said, I want you to get up there and, like a rat, hump up like a rat on a hot tin roof and start shelling corn. I'm like, what? I literally have no idea what that means. You know, so he's got these sayings. But this one really comes to mind. And I want you to say it with me. Sameness leads to tameness. Sameness leads to tameness. tameness. leads to lameness. Tameness leads to lameness. There's a lot of profundity in that. So I don't know if you guys are feeling this, but I don't know if you're like, like, you know what? Let's just do church as usual. Let's just keep doing the same things every single week from now until the second coming. You're like, is that what you guys? Are? I don't know if God's been speaking to your heart, any, but He's been speaking to our hearts, and we're actually feeling. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing the word right. An epical change, E-P-O-C-H, an epical change. And so, uh, two weeks from now, in Vision Sunday. We are going to lay out the most radical plan we've ever laid out. This isn't like, hey, we're going like, to go to two services, and we're going to do more things. You know? No, no, no. This is a radically different approach to doing church. And so I think the challenge that we've had is that we have an apostolic vision to transform cities and influence nations, but we have a pastoral structure that just focuses on church people. Could you see <laughs> Listen, we're not going to start ignoring church people. You're like, hold on, what does that mean? You know? And so I want you to get this picture, though, that we're on a mission, and it's not just about hang on to heaven when you die and keep everybody busy and have enough good programs and we treat the church like a warehouse and we try to keep you here until you die. This is actually a mission-sending agency. The church exists for the sake of the world, and if the way that we've been doing church well, was the way to change a city, it would have happened by now. I mean, we've, we've prayed, we've fasted, we've had guest speakers, we've had healings, we've had dead raisings. Like We want more of those. Okay, like, I'm not discounting any of that. I'm just saying I feel like there's something, and it's interesting in the book of Acts, you know, when things began to spread. A lot of people think it's when the church came in one accord. Now, I'm sure that was a part of it, but that's actually not what happened. It's actually when the uh, church structure shifted. Remember, uh, Judas went and hung himself, and they cast lots, and so what's what we're going to do in two seconds. We're going to cast lots. No, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Come on, snake eyes. Let's see what we're supposed to do, yeah. No, but it's interesting. They uh, when they restored apostolic order when they were with the casting lots and they chose Matthias, then the Holy Spirit fell and things began to shift and so we really feel like there's some things that uh, are going to shift and so if you're thinking Jim, are you talking about like a radical shift or like a little shift? A little shift. We're talking about an epical change shift. Yeah. Epical. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, Mary wasn't here when I spelled it out. E P O C H A L. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Yeah. Epical change. Yeah. Epical? Epical? I don't know. Tomato? Tomato? Just give me some grace here, Mary. You'd miss it. I almost broke my face. I tripped coming up the steps. My wrists are literally sore right now from catching myself, and so, Jesus. Everyone stretch your hands out towards me right now. <laughs> Say, Jim, Lord, give Jim coordination. All right, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Sameness leads to tameness. Leads to tameness. Tameness, leads to lameness. tameness leads to lameness. And so I encourage you guys uh, just just be praying into this season, and uh, I hope you guys are going to get excited about it. So if you're a revival community group leader, we will be telling, we'll spilling the beans today and what we're talking about a little bit. If you are a leader in the church, and uh, we'll be spilling the beans to you. I think it's a week from Saturday and all that stuff. So they haven't got the, they haven't got the email yet. I haven't got the email yet. You're like, Jim, you're just teasing us. Listen, I almost broke my face. Give me some grace here, all right? So here's what I want to do. I want to I just kind of just lay what I really feel is, is the heart of this season of what God's doing here. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles it's Luke 15. And I, I love these. It's three stories that Jesus told. And I can remember as a little kid, I, I can still see the book. It had this cover with Jesus, and he, like had a, like a, he was carrying like a sheep, you know, a little lamb or something. And it was like children's Bible stories. And my grandma Vaughn, on my, on my mom's side, her mom, uh, Grandma Vaughn, she was just, just you know, just the classic grandma, just loved her grandkids and loved all that. And so I remember sitting in her lap, and she would open up the children's Bible storybook, and she would read me these three stories. They were kind of told at a children's version. And this, I mean, I don't know why this sticks out so vividly. To me. As soon as she was done, I'd say, "Read them again." As soon as she was done, I was reading it again. There was something that just captured my heart as a little boy. And I really feel it is the heart, of what, of the heart behind this epical shift, epochal shift, this giant shift. You've got to be kidding me here. Does water stain? I don't even know if that uh, does it, so. All right. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be something else today. I'll tell you what. Church is normal. It's not working. God's getting, yeah. So, help us, Jesus. <laughs> There's some challenges going on up here, in case you haven't noticed here. Like, these aren't planned. <laughs> we may not even be able to publish this on uh, YouTube. I mean, we may just, camera guys, just go get some donuts, all right? So... There's just something... I, I, I might need some assistance up here. Like, I understand that whole armor-bearer thing. I'm gonna need like, a water-bearer and, like, a stair-bearer, and so... All right. Well, let's...
1: Let.
0: Luke chapter 15. I want you guys to catch the heart behind this. This is, this is a passage that's meant a lot to me for a long time. Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. It's interesting who is being drawn to Jesus. Verse, uh, verse two, and the Pharisees and the scribes; those were the religious people. Those were the religious leaders of the day. Those are the pastors, the seminary professors. They, they grumbled, saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." And then Jesus, in response to this, you can see these guys are disgusted that these Jesus is hanging around these sinner types. It's interesting. He uh, he had a tax collector on his team. Jesus did. You know, one of the disciples, uh, he, he ministered to prostitutes. They became some of his followers. And so Jesus, he begins, the, uh, he begins with this brilliant storytelling of this confrontation between him and these religious people. And so uh, let me just read it again. Verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus was eating with the tax collectors. Who were the tax collectors? So uh, Jerusalem and all of Israel, they were under a Roman slavery. And so the Romans knew these Jews are an honoree bunch, like to collect taxes from them is going to stink. So they hired some Jews to go and extract money from the Jews. And so nobody liked that, but here's what they did on top of that. Rome said, listen, you collect the taxes for us and anything else that you can extract from them, uh, anything you can embezzle above the taxes, you get to keep for yourself. So they're basically like working for the mafia and they were their own people and say they were despised nobody talked to tax collectors except during tax time this wasn't like they had a lot of friends it wasn't like that they, they were the despised people and then so those were the tax collectors and then it says there was also the sinners these are the people who didn't go to church they were outside the synagogue you had your petty thieves your low lives in the back alleys of jerusalem your michigan wolverine fans those were the sinners of that time and you would even see that the holy men and the Pharisees would say, I thank God that I'm not like these tax collectors and sinners. That's actually how they prayed. I'm so glad I'm not like those Democrats. I'm so glad I'm not like President Trump. I'm, you, know, you can just see it. Like they, they just, it's the opposite of who they are. It's interesting, when God became flesh, he scandalized every decent person in the human race, and he became friends with the tax collectors and sinners. It says worse than that, it says he ate with them. Now, today we eat to to fill our bellies, not to feel our bellies. This is going to be a challenging day, I can tell you. Wake up the intercessors in China. Jim's having a tough time. All right. So today we eat just because we're hungry, but then it was actually like a mini covenant. And so when you ate with somebody, you were in a mini covenant. So if they came to your village and ate in your house, you were obligated to protect them against enemies, even if it was your enemy sitting at the table. It was, so it was, it was kind of an intimate thing. It was a mini covenant every time they had a, at a meal. So you had to be careful who you, who you ate with. But the word spread all over Capernaum. Here's this rabbi. Here's this holy man, and he's eating with these people. He's having a mini covenant with these people. And so uh, the, the religious people, they're shocked at this. They're scandalized. How could he do this? And the, the tax collectors and sinners, they're, they're scandalized, too. They're shocked. Like, nobody's, nobody who was holy or was righteous, like, they ever paid attention to us. Like, why is this guy doing this? Listen, guys, nobody knows what to do when God turns up and loves all the wrong kind of people. Well, let's just put it in today's term. Imagine if, um, uh, imagine if Sean uh, was having lunch. I'm sorry, Sean, this is just spontaneous here, but it's because I'm standing in a puddle. And so um, <clears throat> imagine if Sean was having lunch with some porn stars. But well, people would be like, that is so neat that he's doing that. If Mary and I uh, were having um, uh, Known members of mafia and Al-Qaeda over to our house. I mean, do you think that maybe some religious people would be like, what's going on there? I'm not sure this is the right thing. Can you see the scandal now? And here's Jesus getting with the the wrong kind of people, and it is upsetting the apple cart. So Jesus, he's like, listen, I got a little story to tell you, to explain to you what's going on here. And so Luke 15, verse 3. uh, So Jesus told them this parable. Uh, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, "Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no who need no repentance. I love this story of the lost sheep. The sheep is so valuable that it warrants an all-out search party. Remember, he's responding. This guy's eating with these lost sinners, and he's going to turn around and say, "This is actually the heart of heaven." I want, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you a peek at my father's heart. It's nothing like the like the way you're treating these people. It's interesting that um, the Pharisees called them Jesus. The Pharisees called them sinners, but throughout these parables, Jesus is going to refer to them as lost. I want you guys to get this. Um, you can only lose something that's valuable. You can't lose like a, you know, a little a scrap piece of paper, a gum wrapper. Nobody loses a gum wrapper, because nobody cares about that. You can only lose something that's valuable. I remember probably the scariest moment, one of the scariest moments we had as a parent, probably the scariest moment, was when we lived in North Carolina, and there was this mall there in Concord. I think it was called the Concord Mills Mall. And on Saturdays, I don't know if it was like all the parents were bored, but it was packed. And they had like this food court, and had like these little rides and games, and and so we're in there, and so, I don't know, uh, Josh and Wesley, they're, I don't know, like four or five, three or four right around there. And so we're in the food court, and so <clears throat> Mir and I kind of made plans, and we're like, okay, you know how you do it at the food court? Okay, me and the kids are going to go eat here, and you're going to eat here, and we'll meet back at a table. You guys know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Did you forget what it's like to eat in a mall? Has it been that long? Okay. Like, what? i mean, just, you know, I've just been doing the DoorDash and so... And so, the, uh, so yeah, so, so, we, so we thought we had the plans, and so, I, you know, I took one of the kids, and uh, she, you know, she went to eat. What, however it happened, when uh, we suddenly realized we've lost Wesley, and there are hundreds of people in this food court. It wasn't, I mean, it was like, like people were having a hard time walking. It's literally that crowded, and so when we realized it, my heart sank. I, I think somebody's taken him, and so I immediately, I, I, you know, I'm a little bit taller. I'm standing up. I'm trying to scan for his little cute face. And uh, I said, Mary, you look around here. And I ran for the door of the mall uh, in case somebody had snatched them to go look in the parking lot. Guys, those are the longest few minutes of a parent's life when you lose a child. My heart is racing. I don't know whether to burst into tears. I'm half angry. I'm half mad. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to look. And um, I look at Mary, and she shakes her head, no. And she says, I know where he is. I don't know if she got some download for the Lord or what. But um, we go, and there's those, you know, those little coin-operated, you know, goofy toy things you ride, and so uh, Wesley's sitting on it without any money, you know, and, uh, and uh, he's sitting on that. We couldn't see that with all the, the, the grown-ups and stuff, and so we saw him. And I tell you what, I think we, you know, just in those few minutes, we caught a glimpse of the heart of what God must feel like to have so many lost kids. Because we can sit in church every week, and we, and we need to, we need to, uh, maybe not every week. <clears throat> and so... Um, We, uh, but we need, we need to come together as God's people and encourage each other, but it can't just be about that. We can't build this Christian subculture. You know, I uh, I remember Mary and I were on vacation and we, you know, we didn't go to church on Sunday and, you know, we're eating at a restaurant and I remember it hits me like these people aren't feeling guilty for not going to church. Like, they're having the time of their life not going to church, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're on vacation, they're having fun. Like, what we do here has no relevance out there, okay? Unless we bring them the reality of Jesus outside these walls. It's not about trying to get them in here. It's about representing Christ out there. And so, uh, why? Because (laughs) when something is lost and it's valuable, it warrants an all-out search party. And when that which is found all of heaven rejoices. He's pulling back the curtain and saying, Guys, this is what's going on in heaven. So it has to go on in here. Then he tells the same thing with the next story, uh, Luke 15, verse 8. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Imagine you've got a winning lotto ticket. I want you to think about the, how valuable that is and the all-out search party. Some of us tear up the whole house to find a remote, remote control to the television. It's like, whoa, well, you know, I don't know about you, it's like DEF CON 1 at our house. It's like, okay, like, what, what, oh, okay. Every, kids, get down here. We're all you're crawling under the cushions. We're tearing up the carpet. And, right? Now imagine it's a lotto ticket. What are you going to do looking for that thing? Well, she's going to seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the lotto ticket. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I'm not sure if you've ever seen those horrible videos where they fake the person out into thinking they win the lotto ticket. It's horrible. They'll like, you know, like have it like a day before, and they'll have it recorded, but they don't know they're playing the recording. I mean, it's super mean. But have you seen the rejoicing of the person who thinks that they've won the lotto? I mean, they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They're like calling their balls, telling them off. They're like, no, no, you didn't really win, you know. Like literally, there's like videos out there like that. And so uh, it says "That's that's what it's like for heaven when one lost sinner comes home. My boys come home. My girls come home. This is what this whole thing is about. I want you to notice the pattern. Something valuable is lost. They warranted an all-out search party. And when it was found, there was great rejoicing. Get this, guys. Lost people matter to God. You will never lock eyes with someone who doesn't matter to God. You will never post on Facebook about somebody who doesn't matter to God. Guys, we need to have a voice. We need to stand up for injustice. But we need to remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't demonize the person. We recognize there's a spirit behind it and we use the Holy Spirit's wisdom in how to confront it. Listen, if our civil liberties are being infringed upon, we need to stand up. I mean, in, 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 our, in church history, the church has been silent on too many issues and we've been encroached. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But the people who are perpetrating those things, they matter to God. And the way that we use our voice and the way that we use our Facebook pages and the way that we use our influence at work, it matters How? You can be right in the wrong way and be wrong. Lost people matter to God. We doing okay? Well, I started with a whole lot more water than when I, uh, than I'd have now here. And so Jesus, he, uh, I want you to go back with me 2,000 years, and I want you to hear this afresh, this third story. Luke 15, 11, and 2. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. It's like each thing's getting a little bit more valuable. You know, it was like people could relate to a sheep. You know, they, could, they could relate to, you know, a, a stock, you know, uh, a lotto ticket. But now he's like, this, "This guy's got two sons." And the younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me." And he divided his property between them. It's interesting the father uh, so this is obviously a Jewish family, and in Jewish law. The, the, the estate belonged to the kids, but not until the father died. The law protected the dad so that he would have the capital to live on, off of and not give it to his kids too early. And here's the this, uh, this son completely disrespecting his father. He said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait until you're dead. I want my money now. I don't care if it hurts you. Give me my money. And the dad does something interesting. He actually gives the son the money. So what does he do with it? Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When it talks about a far country, it's not talking about geography. It's talking about he's going to the Gentiles. This is a religious decision. You have to see this. Here's this boy raised under the covenant, raised, by, you know, raised uh, you know, to, to honor God. And he's making a decision, I want nothing to do with the, uh, with the religion of my father. I'm going where there's no synagogues, there's no Torah, there's no rabbis. I'm going to a far country. It's a religious decision. I want out from under my father's house. I want out from under his religion. I want nothing to do with him and his God. I want you to imagine if you're a Pharisee listening to this. They know what the law says. The law says if you dishonor your parents, you get stoned to death. Aren't you glad we're not under the law? Uh, Not many would be here. I know I wouldn't. Sorry, Mom and Dad, for all the things I did. And so the... uh, this boy has slipped out from under the covenant. He's wished his father was dead, and now he's turned his back on the one true God. You can just feel like they're, they're getting into this story that Jesus is telling. They're like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what these sinners are like, right? Verse 14, and when he had, this is about the son, and when he had spent everything, a severe coronavirus, I'm sorry, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so when he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. I mean, he was raised on a farm, it makes sense that he's going to be on a farm, but this is the worst kind of farm for a Jew, a pig farm. Like not kosher at all. Are you guys getting this here? Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So the boy starts off with extravagant living, burns through all of his money, and then the famine hits, and now his friends are gone. And so, uh, so he's like, listen, I was raised as a farmer, it makes sense, but now he's a pig farmer. I don't know if you know how the Jews thought about pigs, okay? And so in the book of Leviticus, don't you guys miss Leviticus? Oh, Leviticus. We didn't get to get to all the uh, ceremonial laws of what to do when women are on their menstrual cycles and all that. We didn't get to Leviticus 15, but just be comforted in knowing that God's even concerned about your plumbing, ladies. Isn't that just a beautiful thought? Leviticus Leviticus 11. And so there's a list of things that are of unclean animals that are detestable. And so it lists things uh, like this, like you are not to eat an owl. And I don't know about you. I've never been tempted to eat an owl. Like I'm, I've never been that hungry. But the thing that was really the focus of this passage was don't eat pigs, like no pork, no bacon. And so the, the, the Jews became known as the people, these are the people that don't eat bacon. Like this was a distinctive thing. And uh, their theology. But listen to Leviticus 11. I don't have it on the screen. And the pig, because it parsed the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud. <laughs> you do not want to eat that. That's not, I, mean, just I have no idea what that means. Uh, it's unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. Are you ready for this? They are unclean to you, and it goes on to say of unclean animals, they are, de- they are de- detestable to you. So here's the picture. Not only if you eat an unclean animal do you become unclean, but because it's detestable, You become detestable. You can just see the Pharisees, they're about vomiting in their mouth as they're hearing this story. This kid has dishonored his father and wished him dead. He's turned his back on religion and now he's become as detestable as the animals and now he's propagating their species. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, this is the the Jewish boy, the, the son, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, and you can see he gets this little speech prepared. You can almost see him writing it down. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The Pharisees are thinking, yeah, you got that right. (laughs) This guy is not worthy to be called his son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So here he is uh, sitting ankle deep in pig filth. And I want you to notice, he didn't say, "I'm going to return home as a lost son." <laughs> that was off the table in his mind. Here, here, but here's what he's remembered. I remember Dad. You know, we had our disagreements on things, but here's what I remember. Dad was generous, and he took care of his hired. He took care of his servants. Notice, he wasn't trying to be a servant. A servant's like a full time employee with benefits. A hired servant's like a temp agency. He's saying, Dad, I know I, I can't even be on staff with you. I can't even be a worker for you. But maybe if you see me during harvest time or, or planting time, and you, you go down to the town and you're looking for extra workers, maybe you could hire me and just give me a little bit of a meal. You see the heart of this son here, and, and you, don't you wonder why, God's telling you why he's doing this? Because God knows what's in the heart of a person is that we feel like we can only come home so far to God. <laughs> it's like I've blown it, and I can never have full sonship, but God, I'll work for you the rest of my life, and I'll try to please you that way. And so he begins to write it out. Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth before you. It's interesting, the Pharisees, they actually had a story just like this in, in, the, in, the, in the rabbinical writings. Their story went like this. There was a boy who, um, uh, who, uh, who went off to a far-off country. And uh, hold on, let me get this part. He, he goes off to a foreign country And then the son wants to come back in the story. They left out the pig parts. And so the Pharisees are like, yeah, those pig parts, that's pretty good. That's a good story. But I want you to listen. So the Pharisees are tracking along with this story. And it sounds like their story. And they're like, yeah, he's he's about to lay the smack down on these sinners and tax collectors. Here's how the Pharisee story ends. You ready for this? Um, when, the, uh, when the son comes back here, and, and the father in their story says, yes, you can come back, but you will be my slave forever and I will beat you into subjection and before you die, you will prove you obey me. Everybody just worshiping, oh yes. Read those words over me one more time, Jim. <laughs> the, the, the Pharisees, they applauded that story. They thought it was Marvelous. And Jesus, he's telling the same story as the Pharisees. And they're they're on the edge of their seats waiting for the smackdown moment when there's some justice served. And you can imagine, it's in this mood that this boy's coming home. He's coming home knowing he he could never be a son again. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. (laughs) going home expected to be beat into subjection and maybe just get some scraps every once in a while. Um, He's met by the overwhelming love of his father. Sometimes you just can't beat the King James. One of the times is when uh, Lazarus is dead and Jesus is going to raise him, and uh, Martha says, but Lord, he stinketh. You cannot beat the King James on that passage. But there's another one I love it here's how the King James says it said the father ran and fell on his neck now it sounds like a UFC type of move falling on his neck but it's a King James way of saying a bear hug so I want you to get this picture here (laughs) Uh, the father obviously already forgave the son before he already left otherwise he wouldn't have been scanning the horizon he's looking for that silhouette and he says I'd recognize it anywhere I think that's my boy. Maybe he ran to him because he wanted to protect him from all the religious people who were going to carry out the law and stone him to death. We don't know why he was doing this. But he sees the boy, and he says, could could that be my boy? That kind of looks like he's so he's a little emaciated, he's a little dirty. And the father ran to him, falls on his neck, gives him a bear hug, and the Bible says, um, um, smothered him with kisses. Some translations say kissed him repeatedly. I want you to see this. God embraces sinners right in their pig filth right, and their disgustingness to religion, the things that nauseate the religious people about them, God says, I'm embracing you right where you're at. And he gives them a bear hug, and he smothers them with kisses. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it, uh, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, Endless love beyond measurement, beyond academic knowledge. This extravagant love pours into you until you're filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. It's almost like the whole time that uh, the the boy was gone, it was like these invisible hands just drawing him back saying, come on home, I've forgiven you, I've loved you, you haven't gone too far. God embraces us and smothers us with kisses that those religion would find nauseous. And so he's getting hugged, and he's, he's overwhelmed, and you can see the boy, he kind of fumbles for his piece of paper. And the son says, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And just before he gets ready to ask to be a slave and to be a servant, the father cuts him off. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Why would he, why would he put the robe on him? Because if the son came into the farm all emaciated and filthy, all of the household servants would remember that for the rest of their life. So the dad says, "When you walk in the house, you're going to look like me." Put a ring in his hand. A ring was the uh, is how they conducted business. It was the American Express card. He said, "Son, you've already squandered one third of the inheritance. Here's the rest." Are you seeing how overwhelmingly, ridiculously amazing the father's love is? And put shoes on his feet. Obviously he didn't have any. In a lot of cultures, uh, having no shoes means you're a slave. And so he's saying, "Listen, you're not going to just come back in as a servant. You're coming back as in as a son." When you come to Christ, you're made as if you had never sinned, robed with righteousness. You're made a child of God. You're given full access to the inheritance. Jesus slips a ring on your finger and says, ask whatever you will in my name. His signature covers it, covers it all. You can stand before all the hosts of, heaven, uh, hosts of hell, the demonic, and you can say in the name of Jesus. Guys, I'm not saying we're walking in the fullness of it, but guys, we need to open up and see what's made available. And so they go into the house for a feast. The son comes in for a covenant meal to be reminded everything's okay. I'm relentlessly committed to you. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field. And as he came, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Um, this older son's got a little bit of Pharisee on him. Dancing was not in his vocabulary. <laughs> he wasn't really the party type, okay? Have you noticed how much religious people, they don't like the parties? it's beneath them, this dancing and singing, extended worship. It should be 15 minutes. And, you know, you know, people in love aren't in a hurry. It's okay to spend a little extra time in worship. I guarantee when we get to heaven, God's not going to be like, listen, you just praised me too much. You guys were just too hungry. You're too in love with me. You should have got practical. You should have been sensitive and had the services timed out And he called one of his servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother's come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But here's the brother's response, verse 20. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice it's not my brother, it's your son, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. The older brother had lived in the house and had breakfast with dad day after day, but he still thought of himself as a slave. It all came out that night. You know, you can actually be living in the house with the father and still see yourself as a slave. He's been, he's been working like a dog since dawn. He comes in dead tired, and he comes in and hears the music. And uh, and he sees people doing the Macarena. It's like, what is going on? We didn't talk about this at breakfast. Then someone walks by with hors d'oeuvres. You can just see, what is going on here? And he finds out, your brother's come home, and his eyes fill black with rage. If he can't perform like a son, I'm not going to accept him. He should have done better. A lot of people are upset that we haven't addressed the whole Todd Bentley thing. Are we supposed to kick somebody when they're down, guys? You know, they say the Christian army is the only one who shoots their wounded. The world will know them by the way that they judge people who have sin. No. I'm not saying we don't deal with sin. I just think we need to deal with it like God did. How are we doing? If you can't perform like a son, then I'm not going to accept them. Your son wasted our inheritance on prostitutes. He wallowed like a pig, and you give him a feast. All these years, I've slaved for you. I've done everything. What did you ever give me? And you can see the father, he's astounded. It's like, you can almost see him like stumbling back. And verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother, not my son, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Both sons misunderstood what dad was like. You know, the one uh, responded in sin and was lost, and the other tried to earn his father's approval. And here's Jesus showing us the character of God. And listen, if you're listening out there or if you're listening in here, if you failed, you can return, but not as a hired servant, but as a full son or daughter. I don't care if you were raised in this stuff and you've just completely ignored it and dishonored your parents and turned your back on God. It does not matter. He's revealing us the heart of God that you can come home fully. God doesn't see failures. He wipes them out by the blood of Jesus and causes them to become the muscle of our Christian life. And I want you to get this a picture as uh, Derek's coming up here. One day there was a banner in heaven, and it had your name on it. And all of heaven rejoiced because one lost sinner came home. And I feel like God is calling us as a church to step into an apostolic structure that enables us to have lots of parties for sinners coming home. I want heaven to be in a nonstop party state because of Zion. Bless you guys.
1: Hallelujah. Let's just celebrate Jesus right now. If you're watching this on live, I want to engage your heart real quick, just a quick moment. You know, if you look around this area right now, what you see on TV, what you see on your screen, you see a a bunch of X something. Everyone in this place, everyone that names Jesus as their Lord and Savior were brought out of something. There was something that was at the center of their heart that they got up, that they searched every day for, that were, they were so fascinated with, they were overcame with, I don't care if it's alcohol, drugs, business, whatever it was, there was something that was sitting on the place in their heart that was reserved for Jesus. And as uh, Pastor Jim began to minister today and, and share how God feels about his sons and daughters, uh, the one thing that really stuck out to my heart is that the son or daughter never lost their value to Jesus. They never lost their value because of the things that they came out of, their history of sin, the history uh, of their uh, rebellion. They never lost how God felt about them. And right now, if you're listening, I want to, to share with you the fact that God feels the same way about you today as he did when he first called your name. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. He already had a destiny for you. He spoke over you. He spoke life over you. He, he gazed in your eyes and looked back and saw his reflection. He said, this person is going to lead in love like me. But through the challenges of life, things happen uh, that, that causes tears in our, our relationship with God, that causes trauma, that causes us to stop growing, that causes us to start fighting and flighting and seeing how we can survive. But then, as you said, Pastor Jim, uh, dealing in the hog pen, eating the hog stuff, and the son came to himself. He had a reflection of, how things were in his father's house. He began to think how good God is. The thing about church is, I love people that that love Jesus. But the, the 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 grace and the power of the whole thing is when you can sit back and restore love to somebody, restore the beauty to somebody. How God feels about them when they, somebody is lost can come in and you can say Jesus loves you. And I do too, and my my love never fails, my love never changes, just like his love never changed. And he brings you to that place where, where you have full value again. And right now, somebody has been desperate, trying to search in all the places, all the dry places, and you found yourself in one. I want to challenge you right now to just let go of all your fears of what you thought church is. I want you to let go go of all your opinions. Some of us have wrong ideas. We think of church as a bunch of rules and not a relationship. God wants to bring you out of religion into relationship. Because before anything ever happened, he was a father. Before creation, he was a father. Before anything got started in this earth, he was a father. He was much more than a judge, much more than a king. He's a bridegroom, and his heart has always been looking for his children. So right now, I want to invite you to a family. I want to invite you to a family where the Father is always good. He's always right. He's always loving. And he's full of wisdom. He's full of mercy. He's full of kindness. And right now, he's extending his hand towards you. He's extending his hand, and he's extending his heart towards you. And he says, you are worth it all. He looked at you in the mess that you're in, and he said, you're worth my son, my only begotten son, Jesus, dying for you and I to bring us back into a relationship with him. Unlikable, there's reaching to the lowest place church. He's flooding your car. He's flooding right where you are. And he's saying, you are mine. Right now, right now, in this moment, you can receive all of God.